0: I'm Pete Pedro Hoffmeister, and this is the Boring is a Swear Word podcast. If October ends with trick-or-treat, but most people going with treat, with candy, with good things, then November is about trick-or-treat without the treat, and just tricks over and over and over And honestly, 2020 feels a little bit like that. What's the next trick it's going to throw our way? And with that, I give you the all tricks episode. We begin this tricking people episode with the trick pro tip. As you know, masks are everywhere. They're ubiquitous right now. Masks on people, masks in cars, masks in television advertisements, masks in magazines, masks in pop-up ads on the side of your computer, masks on the ground, masks everywhere. So my favorite trick right now is if I'm walking with somebody else. Could be one person, could be a whole group of people. If we're walking along, say, through a parking lot or through a park or on a random street, and I see a mask lying on the ground, what I'll do is I'll really quickly step over to it, bend over and reach to pick it up, and say, Look, a free mask! Like that. And without fail, every single time, the whole group of people will yell, no, don't touch that, don't touch that, and or they will physically rip you back from the mask on the ground. Try it out yourself. That mask trick makes me sound like a bad person. Like I'm playing tricks on other people at their expense. But it doesn't make me sound as bad as this next story is going to make me sound. When I was 17 and I moved back from Dallas, I lived with my best friend's family at a house on Kincaid Street, 2460 Kincaid in Eugene, Oregon. So it was near 24th, it was near Hilliard, it was near Humble Bagel and University Park, but it was also only two blocks from the Masonic Cemetery. This is the oldest cemetery in Eugene. A lot of really beautiful old grave headstones. And you have to picture this cemetery to understand this story. The cemetery sits on a relatively steep, small hill, and it's thickly wooded. There's ivy growing everywhere, overcoming the graves in lots of places. There are huge trees, so it's always shadowed. Big Douglas firs and madrones And there are all these little tiny dirt paths Going along the side of the hill Up the hill Little spiderweb lattices of tiny trails In between thick ivy and huge trees So during the day it's always shaded And at night it's really dark Even though it's in the middle of the city There are no street lights on the hill So the whole cemetery is unlit one of my favorite things to do on the weekends, either on a Friday or Saturday night, and it had to be a weekend night, and you'll see why, was to go up and hang out in this cemetery. I would especially do this when my best friend was busy. He was hanging out with a different friend or at a party I didn't want to go to, or somewhere else. So I'd go by myself up into the cemetery on a Friday or a Saturday night, late. I wouldn't go up there before like 11, sometimes even 12. And I would hang, up, hang out up there um, at the top of the cemetery, in the trees, in the dark. And I would wait for drunken college boys to come through the cemetery. And there were a lot of cheap houses to rent on the far side of the cemetery because it was on the opposite side from the university. So the housing was expensive on the university side, meaning a lot of the students, a lot of the males... Who would go through the cemetery were going back home after hanging out at parties on campus. So I'd wait for one or two college guys to be walking together or alone through the cemetery working north to south across the side hill on those little dirt paths and I would hide in the shadow of the trees sitting thick in the ivy and I would wait for them to come across in front of me. And then I would usually pick the one that was by himself or the one who was just behind the other person. And as they walked past me, I would stand up and out of the dark, I would run downhill and I would tackle them into the ivy on the steep downhill side. And we would roll and tumble into the ivy and the trees and they would scream like banshees. And then I would get up and I would run off and hide behind a nearby tree again. And then these drunken college boys would just be freaking out. If they were by themselves, they'd be scared. But it was almost worse if they were in a group. And I pick off the last one. So the guy in front is walking along and the guy behind him just disappears, screaming into the dark down the hill. I used to love to do this. I used to love to just run downhill and tackle those drunken college boys as hard as I could. I know it's not a good joke. I know it's not something to be proud of, but it's true. Sometimes it's not me playing the trick, but other people playing the trick on me. And sometimes I don't even know why. When a book is published, it gets trade reviews from places like Booklist and Kirkus Publishers Weekly, Library Journal, YALSA. Lots of different places give trade reviews. Newspaper reviews like the New York Times or you know small local newspapers like the Portland Mercury. Lots of different ways to review. But before those reviewers get the book, the author gets something called author blurbs. And this is where other eminent writers... Read and say something good about your work that's about to come out. So when the reviewers get the copy, the ARC copy, the advanced reader's copy from the publisher, there are a few author blurbs on there. Now, if the blurbs are good, they'll usually stay on the book cover along with some reviews when the actual book comes out. So when you pick up a book in a bookstore, it's going to have... A couple author blurbs, a couple trade reviews, and then maybe what the New York Times said, half a sentence saying something amazing from the New York Times review, if the author was lucky enough to get a New York Times review, which most of the time I'm not. But sometimes the blurbs or reviews get interesting. For example, in 2013, my book Let Them Beaten by Bears came out with Penguin. In 2016 a publisher in China decided to purchase that book and print and distribute it in China. So Good Earth Publishing in China acquired my book from Penguin, or the rights to my book, and started printing copies in Chinese. Well, as an author, you sometimes get copies from these foreign publishers when your books are republished in other countries, and you sometimes don't. I've still never gotten any copies of my books from my Italian publisher... Australian publisher or German publisher, but Good Earth Publishing in China sent me four copies in the mail of my new book. Now, it's written in Chinese, so I can't read it. I don't have any Chinese language skills. I can't read or write in Chinese. So I don't know what the re- main part of the book says other than what I wrote. I know that um, the title was changed a little bit But what was interesting is on the back there were some authors that blurbed my book and although the quotes are in Chinese and I can't read them the names are in both English and in Chinese which I can read obviously and one of the author blurbs for my book in 2016 was the author Ed Abbey. Now the interesting part of that is that While this book came out in China in 2016. Ed Abbey died in Tucson, Arizona on March 14th of 1989. So more than 27 years later, Ed Abbey gave my book a blurb. So when Ed Abbey died of esophageal bleeding in 1989, his friends took him out into the desert. Per his wishes, he was not buried in a grave. He was not cremated. They took him out to an unmarked spot in the desert north of Tucson, Arizona, and they dug a grave, and they put Ed Abbey's dead body in his favorite sleeping bag, and they buried him in the earth in his favorite sleeping bag where he would decompose quickly but happily because it was his favorite sleeping bag. And then they covered over the ground... And again, per his request, they left no marker above his grave, but instead lit a little fire, and then they danced and drank and had a party celebrating his death. So that's how he died, and that's how he was buried. But what we don't know, what's still a mystery, is how he crawled out of that sleeping bag, dug open the earth, And 27 years later, went to China just to blurb my book. This next story is a story I haven't even told my parents. And I don't know what they would say if they heard it. I'm not really sure. But it goes like this. When I turned 16... It was just before 9-11, and back then, all you needed to do to go in um, and get a permit or a license is have your parent go with you, and your parent slaps down their ID on the table and the, um, gives the check, does the little DMV form, you take the test, you pass the written, you take the drive test, you pass that, you get your license, they take your picture, boom, ID. So I got my license before 9-11, and then I got my 10-year renewal after 9-11, but all of the little nuances of the Patriot Act had not come to fruition yet. So when I did my 10-year renewal on my license at age 26, I went in, put my old license down, put my new DMV form down, put my check down. They took my picture. I got a new license. Well, by the time I was 36, Oregon had adopted more rules for identification, post-Patriot Act. So, you needed to bring in your DMV form, your check, your old license, your birth certificate, and two pieces of mail showing where you live. So, 36 years old, on my third license, are gonna be my third license, I go into the DMV, and I put all my paperwork in the check down and slide it forward to the worker at the DMV. And he says, well, what's this? And I said, oh, that's my proof of address. Those are my two proofs of address. And he goes, no, what's this? And he taps my birth certificate. And I was like, well, that's my birth certificate. And he says, you know, I see birth certificates from all 50 states and Puerto Rico, and Washington, D.C. I see them from all over, even Guam. And this is not a birth certificate. And I was like, thought about that for a second. And you know, I was born at home. I was born in a house. My dad delivered me. My parents were hippies. My mom didn't want to have a hospital experience with my birth. But still, I had had this birth certificate my entire life. And I was like, no, that's definitely my birth certificate. And he said, let me ask you a question. Is there any chance that your parents are the type of people that would put a random piece of paper in a typewriter and type up a birth certificate? And I looked at the man and I thought about it for a second. And I was like, yes. Yes, they are. And so I did not get to renew my license. And for months, until I figured out a way around it, there was no way for me to have a license. So I didn't have a license. So sometimes the trick is on me, but usually it's me tricking other people because I am not a good person. And I'm not one of those people who's like, yeah, I used to be a really bad person, but now I'm a good person. Or when I was a kid, I made bad decisions, but now as an adult, I make good decisions. No, I'm I'm pretty much who I've been for a long long time. So I didn't become a good person when I became an adult. And I didn't even become a good person when I became a teacher. And for the last 15 years, I've taught in the integrated outdoor program at South Eugene High School a program that integrates literature with outdoor pursuits. So we have a desert term, a mountain term, and a river term. And the culminating event of the river term is our river trip. And we've gone to various rivers, but our favorite river to go to for three days is the Deschutes River in central Oregon. It's this gorgeous river that goes through a desert canyon. And it has... Class 2 and Class 3 and a few Class 4 rapids, and it's really exciting and fun. And in between the excitement, there are these gorgeous glassy periods through the canyons where the views are beautiful. So it's a gorgeous place to go, and the kids love going on the trip, and it's a lot of adrenaline in the white water, and wrestling and people throwing each other out of boats and spraying each other with water guns and the guides playing tricks on the boaters and Everybody having fun for three days. Well, in our outdoor program, we have student leaders, meaning the top juniors from their junior year apply to be senior leaders, and we usually pick six to eight of them to help lead in the program in small group instruction for the next year. These are great kids, super fun kids to work with. So one year on the river trip, one of our student leaders was named Corinne, But I called her Coco. And Coco was an awesome kid and an incredible young leader. And she was terrified of snakes. And she decided to go on the river trip, even though the river trip was her birthday weekend. So on Saturday, on Saturday, she was going to turn 18 years old on our school trip, on our school river trip. So we're camping in this river canyon. And we go for an evening hike to watch the sunset over the mesa and to watch the colors on Mount Hood from this rocky pinnacle up high. And then we hike back down to camp as it gets dark. Gorgeous hike. The only problem is we bushwhack up this really steep hillside and there are a lot of deer ticks. And we don't want anybody to get Lyme disease. But see, I had planned ahead knowing all of this from the year before. And remember, Coco is terrified of snakes. So we decided that after this hike, on the next morning in the bright sunshine, we would get everybody together and the lead guide, he would explain to everybody that he was worried about ticks and that people had gotten ticks on themselves on the hike. Ticks are incredibly small. They're they're smaller than a quarter of an inch length and width really small, small ticks. So we had everybody gathered up, and our lead guide is on the table, and he's talking about ticks, and he's talking about Lyme disease, and he's talking about how we have to search our partners' armpits and backs of their knees, but we also need to go through all of our gear. We need to go through our clothing, our backpacks inside our tents, our sleeping bags, all that kind of stuff. And while he was giving this talk, I was secretly catching a five-foot gopher snake. Some people call them bull snakes. Huge, fat, wide constrictors. Not poisonous, but terrifying, especially if you're afraid of snakes. So I caught a five-foot gopher snake. And while the lead guide was explaining to everybody how they needed to search for ticks, I was secretly hiding this gopher snake inside of Coco's backpack, next to her sleeping bag, inside of her tent. Then I snuck back out of her tent and zipped it closed. Walked back over the group. And the lead guide was just finishing explaining the danger of ticks to the whole group. So then everybody paired up with their tent partners, and they checked their scalps and behind their ears and behind their knees and in their elbows and their armpits and on their backs and in the waistbands of their pants and their swimming suits. They checked for ticks. And then they were told by the lead guide to go back to their tents as a group, and they were supposed to go through everything in their tents and make sure there weren't any tiny, tiny ticks. Inside their tents. No ticks in their sleeping bags or pillows or jackets or backpacks. So everybody went into their tents to search for these tiny, tiny little things, these tiny ticks. And there were six girls in a tall tent in Coco's group. And those six girls all went inside this tall tent, this big dome tent, six-foot-tall dome tent, to search for ticks. And I just stood off to the side because I'm a bad person and just waited. And everybody was going through everything looking for these tiny, tiny ticks in their backpacks and in their sleeping bags and in their tents and their gear. All of a sudden, Coco and her friends discovered the five-foot gopher snake in Coco's backpack. And it was like an invisible bomb had exploded in the middle of their tent inside And they all screamed at once and they all tried to run out of the tent at the same time but there was only a door in one direction so one girl came out the door and the other girls ran into the sidewalls of the tent and fell back down and jumped back up screaming and then they all came out of the front of the tent through the flaps. They're all freaking out. Coco looked like her back was broken. She was doubled over in fear and, you know... The lead guide and I had planned this trick ahead of time because apparently it's not just me that's a bad person. My lead guide is apparently a bad person since he was in on this. So I went to Coco and I was like, Happy birthday, Coco. Happy birthday. As podcast listeners know, I'm not a whiskey drinker. From an earlier episode, you know that my friend Jeff and I drank whiskey once in a tent, and he got incredibly hungover from his one inch of whiskey. And I've never bought a bottle of whiskey in my life. Well, my friend Ben invited me and my friend Luke over to his house to drink some fine Scotch whiskey around a fire in the backyard while social distancing. But the thing is, fine scotch whiskey is wasted on me since I don't know the difference, and I don't buy whiskey. And Luke, having heard that story about me and Jeff, called me up and was like, dude, you're buying a bottle of whiskey. You're going to bring a bottle of whiskey with you to that fire pit. And I was like, don't worry about it. I already bought whiskey. But the thing is, I lied. I had not. Instead, I had figured out how to make whiskey. So I was rolling an oversized tire in a field one day, and I looked inside where the water was sloshing around. And inside this oversized tire, this is just a couple weeks ago, inside the oversized tire that I was rolling through the field, it doesn't matter why, I found a completely full, unopened can. Of Pap's Blue Ribbon Beer. So I pulled it out of the tire. And I threw it in my backpack. And I marched back home. So I had one element of whiskey. But the thing is, beer is only like 5% alcohol. And whiskey is like 40 or 50% alcohol. I'm not sure about scotch. I don't know anything about it. But it's a lot more. So I had to figure out how to fortify my PBR to make it into whiskey. So... I figured something out, and then I went over to Ben's house with Luke, and we sat around the fire, and we sipped on glasses of fine Scotch whiskey that Ben had brought, and then after they had had a couple of glasses of fine Scotch whiskey, I said, do you guys want to try my whiskey that I bought, and they were like, sure, and I was like, I could go get new glasses so it doesn't taste like the other whiskey, and they were like, no, we can just use our glasses, so they handed me their glasses, and I went over to the table, It was an outdoor table, picnic table. And I had my back to them. And I opened up my can of PBR. And I poured some Pabst Blue Ribbon into each of their cups. And then I took a bottle of Listerine yellow mouthwash out of my backpack. And I poured some of that in there to make the PBR into whiskey. And then I brought the cups back to them. Luke smelled his and was like, dude, that smells horrible. What is that? And I was like, it's whiskey. And Ben was like, I don't think so. That smells pretty bad. And I was like, just try it. So they each drank a little bit. And Luke was like, That's one of the worst things I've ever drank in my entire life. And Ben was like, That's not that bad. I could drink that. And he sipped a little bit more. And Luke was like, Are you kidding, man? Are you kidding me? That's horrible. It smells like mouthwash. And I was like, Well, that's because it has mouthwash in it. I made whiskey out of PBR and mouthwash. And they were like, no, dude. They dumped it out, and then they dramatically went over to the hose and rinsed out their cups before they could add in their fine scotch whiskey for their next drink. But deep down, I think they kind of sort of liked it. This podcast episode is dedicated to my friend, Lena Hess, who, in my opinion, might have as dark a sense of humor as I do. So if you're maybe a bad person like me, please consider sharing this podcast with somebody else or giving it a good review online. And thank you for listening today to The Boring is a Swear Word Podcast. And my